Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. We've got to brace people for the consequences of their sin and tell them just because you're forgiven doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. Jesus could say to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And if there's ever been an unambiguous statement about forgiveness, there it was. Was he forgiven? You bet. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The problem was it would still be today, right? Because <laughs> he was still going to be crucified. the signs of maturity is taking personal responsibility for your actions. And in the Christian life, this is no different. But although God offers us forgiveness for our sins, there are still consequences for our actions. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us how easy it is to forget that there are very real ramifications for our mistakes, even if we repent and work to make things right. Well, here's Pastor Mike picking up our message in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 7, Nathan lowers the boom says to David, and they have an exclamation point after it in your Bible, but the original text doesn't give us that sense. All we know is that Nathan says to David, and it probably came out more like this, hey Dave, that's you we're talking about. There was love in his voice. There was concern for David. Dave, you're the guy. You are the man who exploited someone else's stuff, in this case, a relationship, a precious, sacred marriage. You violated that just to get what you wanted and look at all you had. Dave, it's you. Don't you see it? You're the guy and you've blown it. This is what the Lord says, Nathan goes on to say in verse 7. The God of Israel, he says this, Dave, I anointed you king over Israel. I'm the one who brought you from the pastures, from shepherding the flock. I've put you here as the king over the nation. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Do you remember, Dave, when you were running from your life and you were hiding in the, in the caves and in the, in the, in the cleft of the, of the rock in the middle of the desert? I provided nice places for you to rest and water and, and springs. and all. Remember all I did for you there to protect your life? You'd set up rocks as a monument to me. and it, it, You would say, Selahamelikoth. Look at how God has kept me from... from disaster today. Remember those days? And you remember in verse 8 he says that, that your master's house and all of his possessions and Saul and all of his leadership and all of his regal power, it was all given to you? And your master's wives, I even tolerated this cultural practice of polygamy and you had all these wives. Put them right into your arms. I gave you the whole entire house of Israel, all the tribes and all of Judah, and you are the sovereign king of this nation, David. And if that had been too little and he didn't have enough and there was something you needed, you just needed to ask, I would have given you even more. But instead, you went after something you couldn't have. Why, Dave? Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your, be your own. You, you killed him. I know you don't think you did it, but you did it indirectly by command. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Dave, after all that God has done for you, why did you do this? We've talked a lot about the inequity of sin in the last few weeks. Nathan here is just highlighting that. Look at all the good things God has done. And then you had to poke him in the eye with this. You had to disgrace him with this. Dave, don't you see the inequity here? Don't you see the, the travesty of this? 
Don't you recognize that, that your actions were injurious to a God that's been nothing but good to you? Dave, don't you see it? Now again, you analyze this section of this rebuke and this confrontation and you can see a strategy here. I hate to call it a strategy, but a method, an approach. And you see here that in verse 7, immediately after saying, Dave, I'm here to talk about you and your sin, the first thing Nathan says is, look how good God has been to you. God wants you to remember, Dave, just how gracious and kind and loving and merciful God has been for you. He's done all these things for you. Why does Nathan choose to talk about God's goodness at a time like this? Let me suggest this, and if you're taking notes, jot it down. Romans chapter 2, verse number 4. The Bible says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. It is God's goodness and His kindness and the memory of the riches of His kindness and His tolerance and His patience, that verse says, that should provoke in our lives a sense of repentance when we've got sin in our lives that we're running from and covering up. It's like, and I hate to put it this way, but it's the spiritual epicac of the Bible. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what epicac is? It's a little medicine you give to people that need to vomit. They've swallowed some poison. They got something in there that's making them sick. Just a spoonful is all it takes. A couple of spoonfuls, you're guaranteed to throw up. And if you've got someone you need to confront about sin and they're covering it up and they're running from it, just a nice itemized list of how good God has been to that person. A reminder of God's love is often what it takes to surface in their lives the sin that will hopefully then bring a tear to their eye and a repentant heart. Oh, I'm not saying it always works, and I'm not saying every person you confront and give them a reminder of God's love is going to repent, but it does often work that way because it is God's kindness that often leads people to repentance. That's the second thing, and I hope you've already noted it, but you and I not only need to make sure we love them, but we need to, number two, remind them of God's love. Well, it doesn't sound much like a formula for confrontation yet, right? <laughs> we need to love them. We need to remind them of God's love, but that's exactly what we need. That is exactly the formula that it takes. If we don't affirm our love for the person we confront, and if we don't show them that God loves them, then I doubt our confrontation will be effective. We need to put them face to face with the goodness of God. Why is that? Well, it brings about repentance, but it also assures them and gives them the security to confess sin. You know what I'm saying by that? It's the assurance that God's love showcased in our conversation that provides individuals the freedom to say, I've blown it. I've done something reprehensible. I've done some rejectable thing. Because when I say that, my fear is that I may be rejected by God. And why is it so important to recount God's goodness and commitment to me in times of confrontation and rebuke? Partially because I need to be reminded that if I repent of a reprehensible act, God is still there to receive me. I've done something rejectable, but He does not reject me. The knowledge of sin and the confrontation of sin and even the discipline of sin in our lives should be distinguished from love. As a matter of fact, it ought to be explained as an extension of love. That's what Scripture says. Hebrews chapter 12 says that the discipline of God is a sign of His love. And when He confronts us with sin in His, in His operation or dealings with you or through the mouth of someone that comes to you, that He's really showing you how much He loves you because He disciplines those he loves. That's what Scripture says. So don't lose heart. 
And you know, I need to make sure that I have the equipment when I confront someone to make sure they don't lose heart. How am I going to do that? I have to discuss, highlight, underscore God's love. I do it to provoke repentance, and I do it to assure them that God will not leave them and God will not forsake them. Make sure you love them. And make sure you remind them of God's love. But lastly, in verse number 10, the conversation turns to some painful specifics. There are some specific things here that are spoken of that are quite unpleasant. And Nathan says, I know you used the swords of the Ammonites to accomplish your selfish means. You wanted what you wanted, so you used violence and violence of death to get it. I just need to let you know, verse 10, that the sword will never depart from your house. In other words, in your family, though you may teach different, you've just demonstrated for your children that you get what you want by being violent and killing people. And I just want to tell you, that's going to be incorporated into the values and lifestyles of your children. And that's exactly what happened. And it's lived out in dramatic fashion, starting in the very next chapter. And what Nathan is saying to David is there will be consequences for your sin. And there will be consequences because you despise the Lord and you you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own when she was in verse 11. And this is what the Lord says. Not only will there be violence in your family, but out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. And if you think that's hyperbole, then you need to brace yourselves because what's coming up in future chapters will show this lived out in a most dramatic way. And it's an awful, awful reality that is spawned from David's sin that his own children would commit immorality with his wives in broad daylight. The text says in verse 12, Dave, I know you did it in secret. You were careful to shut the shutters. You were careful to bolt the door behind you as you and Bathsheba climbed into bed. But I just want to tell you, I'm going to do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel because you can't hide from the consequences of your sin. David said to Nathan, you're right, I've sinned against the Lord. I've blown it. I've done wrong. You're absolutely right. I've sinned. Notice Nathan's response. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. He knows the equation. He knows how it works. You confess sincerely before God. There's a cleared up relationship. Instantaneously, God clears the slate. There's no more animosity. There's no more hypocrisy. There's no more running. God completely receives the repentant child. But, he says, though you may not die, verse 14, by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. What a masterful distinction Nathan draws here. Oh, forgiveness, yes, God forgives your sin, but I just need to warn you, there'll be violence in your family, there'll be immorality in your wives, and you know what? The child, the child's going to die. Now understand, you and I aren't prophets, and we don't know what exactly God will do as a result of someone's sin. But if you know your Bible, you know, don't you, that there are clear consequences spelled out in the pages of Scripture for all kinds of sins. I mean, you can't, according to Scripture, you can't commit adultery and have the same level of trust on the other side of that. You cannot commit crimes and have the same level of freedom after you commit them. You cannot commit some kind of heinous public sin and expect the same kind of reputation. Once you do, these things have consequences. 
And here's how Galatians 6 puts it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And you and I, if we're going to do our jobs as people who lovingly come to confront people and showcase God's love so that they can have the freedom and the motivation to repent, you also need to, thirdly on your list this morning, you also need to brace them for the consequences of sin. That is our job. We can't mitigate it. We can't change it. We can't lessen it. But we can warn them and let them know this is what's coming. It's, it's kind of like the, the, the weatherman, you know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of like the, the National Weather Service. I thought about that, and I thought, what an interesting job you must have to deal with something you can't change. That's what took me to this thought. I thought, you know, here are, here are people that have given their lives to meteorology and learning about the weather and trying to predict and forecast the weather. And I thought to myself, how frustrating. There's not a, a, a stinking thing you can do about it. You can't change it. And so I went on to, to the uh, uh, National uh, um, Weather Service website, and I said, I'm going to find their mission statement and see how they state it. And obviously, I didn't expect to find it is our goal to change the weather, right? Because they know they can't do that. But there are two words that were highlighted in their mission statement. We are here to forecast and to warn. That's what we want to do. Our job is to forecast what's coming and to warn people. And then it has a purpose clause. It says, for the protection of life and property and economy. They want to, in some way, brace people for what's coming. They don't want to change it. They know they can't change it. And that, too, is our job when we confront people with sin. We're there, if we're loving, to say there's consequences and they're coming, and you need to brace for them. Part of the problem with confrontation today is people think that they can pray a prayer of forgiveness with someone and stand up and say, well, everything will be okay now. And you and I know if Galatians 6 is true, everything will not be okay. As a matter of fact, you better put your helmet on because you're in for a lot of trouble because there will be consequences for your sin. David, your sin is forgiven. God has forgiven you because you have confessed this. But beware, there's going to be violence in your family. Your wives will be immoral. And you know what? The baby is going to die. So brace yourself for that, Dave, because that's what's coming. Because those are some of the consequences of your decisions. I remember a young man at the church a long time ago who committed his life to Christ. It was great to talk with him after this commitment and, and to come with him through this decision with the realization of his sins being completely forgiven. And he had led a radical life. And part of his sinful, radical lifestyle was uh, involvement with illegal substances. And he'd abused alcohol and drugs and committed his life to Christ. And it was great because we could say, hey, you know what? God has forgiven you. But, you know, I couldn't say to him, everything's going to be all right now. Because I knew he was in for some serious detoxification. I mean, to say no to those things is one thing, but to deal with the consequences of saying no, that's a whole other thing. And to rebuild his life, that was going to be a big task. And so we braced him for that. And we tried to warn him as best we could, here's what's coming for you, and it's going to be hard. But I think much like Nathan, we also needed to add this addendum to it, and though Nathan doesn't spell it out for us in this passage, his relationship with David to the very dying day of David's life proves it to me that we need to add this kind of addendum to that kind of, of revelation of, of consequence. We need to say, you know what, and we'll help you. And we'll help you walk through it. Brace yourself for the consequences, but I just want to let you know I'm not going to give you those consequences and then walk away. Nathan says there's going to be violence in your home, and guess what? He's there helping David through it. He says, you know what, there's going to be immorality in your family and it's going to be terrible and, and Nathan's there to help. 
He says the baby's going to die, but guess who's there to comfort? Nathan's going to be there. And this young man in our church, I remember our church was rather small at the time, we gave him our back uh, guest room in our home. And we said, here, you can have this. Didn't need any fancy people, any fancy hospital room, just here, let's just get through this. And he did. And he cleaned his life up. He dealt with all the issues that he had untangled in his sinful behavior. He went on to Bible school, to seminary. He's in full-time ministry today. And I think one of the reasons he came through it with such determination is because part of what the church did at that time with a young man whose life was really messed up was we said, beware, it's going to be hard. So get ready and work. And he did. And praise God, he may have some scars to show you from that lifestyle. But because a church lovingly rallied around him to help him through this, his life is fruitful today. And it's a distant memory. We've got to brace people for the consequences of their sin and tell them just because you're forgiven doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. Jesus could say to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And if there's ever been an unambiguous statement about forgiveness, there it was. Was he forgiven? You bet. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The problem was it would still be today, right? Because <laughs> he was still going to be crucified. Consequences for, for that thief's sin, it was still in place. Forgiveness, yes. And you and I need to masterfully and, and intelligently and carefully distinguish those two in our confrontation and help them and say, we're ready to walk through it with you. In May of uh, 1997, it was a terrible crime that took place. It began with an 18-year-old named Jeremy Strohmeyer meeting a 7-year-old girl in a Nevada casino. You remember the story, perhaps, in the news as this playing around in the video arcade room of the casino turned into roughhousing, and the roughhousing led to rape and strangulation and murder. And it was a heinous crime, and it was terrible. It all took place in the women's restroom of this casino, and everybody was up in arms about how awful this was. But what made this a particularly horrific crime was that it came out soon after this had all happened that there was a friend of Jeremy Strohmeyer, a classmate named David Cash, who stood by and knew what was going on and saw what was going on. And the video surveillance tape showed two full minutes of him in the same room while this was happening. It showed that though he knew it all, he did nothing about it. As a matter of fact, David Cash not only did nothing to prevent it, once it was over, he did nothing about reporting it. He went on his merry way and pretended it didn't happen. I mean, after all, he didn't rape anybody and he didn't kill anybody and he didn't strangle anybody. I mean, it was really none of his business. Or was it? Apparently, Nevada law said it was none of his business because you might remember the upheaval in the wake of this crime. It became apparent that the authorities could do nothing to David Cash because there were no laws in the Nevada books to make him culpable in this crime in any way just because he knew and saw and did nothing. There was no obligation on him legally to respond. And so, as you might imagine, the lawmakers scurried to put together a bill to require people in the midst or presence of a crime to prevent it, and if they can't prevent it, at least to report it. But interestingly, and you may have read some of this in the papers, I read some articles that described the debate that took place. And one of the lawyers that testified before the lawmakers, he had this to say about this law that was going before the leadership of Nevada. He said, this statute, if it passes, it creates a duty for people to stick their nose in someone else's business. 
perish the thought. American law, he said, provides citizens the freedom of staying in their own yard and doing nothing. Well, he may be accurate in the assessment of Nevada law, but he certainly doesn't understand anything about biblical law. Because the law of God does not give you the freedom to stand by when a brother or sister in Christ does something unchristian, when they do something sinful or something inconsistent with their walk. As a matter of fact, the Bible obligates you that you are culpable if you do nothing. You cannot say, it is none of my business. It is your business because this person is a brother or sister in Christ, and you must respond. But the rewards are great. James chapter 5, ends, he ends his book with these two verses. He says, what a, what a great thing it is when one who's wandering from the truth is brought back. He says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. It means that you will have a part in stopping the further degeneration of this particular situation. Think about it. If David would have been confronted by the servant and would have responded in repentance, the servant that went to get Bathsheba for him, guess what? We would have none of this murder talk. If someone in the first day or the first week or the first month, the first inkling of news that came out about David being unfaithful and stealing someone else's wife, do you think we would have all the tragic events of David's life that follow from chapter 13 on? I don't think so. But instead, it took almost one year for someone to step forward and say, Dave, you're wrong. And I love you and God loves you but you can't go on this way and there will be consequences for your decisions. If God has laid somebody on your heart and I trust that he has. And if you don't have anybody in your mind right now that you know you are responsible to talk with, it'll happen. It'll happen next week, next month, or next year. But God is going to make you privy to information that you shall not and should not and cannot with this instruction this morning say it is none of my business, it will be your business and I exhort you to do it properly. Love them, point them to God's love, and brace them for the consequences. A strong exhortation today from our Bible teacher, Pastor Mike Fabares. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called Caring Enough to Say What Needs to Be Said. You know, a great way to develop a sensitivity to God's leading is by joining us on this program every day as we study the depths of God's Word. And if you ever miss a program, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen on demand. You can also listen online when you visit focalpointradio.org. And to help you go deeper in your understanding of God's plan for salvation, this month we're featuring a timeless classic from the beloved British preacher Charles Spurgeon, who was known for his thoughtful and precise biblical exposition. It's a book titled All of Grace. It clearly and concisely explains the futility of relying on our own good works for salvation, because we all need God's grace. We'll send you a copy of All of Grace as our thanks when you make a donation to Focal Point today. And this is the last day we're offering this resource. This is perfect for anyone who questions the validity of their salvation. Just call us at 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. 
And as I said, today is the last time we'll be mentioning this resource, so be sure to get in touch soon. Request Olive Grace when you go to focalpointradio.org. We're so grateful for your support, because it enables countless others to explore the depths of Scripture with us each day. On their behalf, thank you. Now, even if you can't give today, we still want to hear from you. And when you let us know that you're listening, we'll send you a free booklet about the attributes of God. Ask us about the booklet when you call 888-320-5885 or find it online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday when we'll discuss how best to navigate detours when life takes an unwanted turn. That's coming up tomorrow right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.